What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I'm Ben. We are here, as always, with our super producer, Noel Epsilon Brown. Epsilon. Epsilon. Interesting Epsilon. choice for a nickname for, for Noel today. And as our listeners know, that's usually a uh, clue as to what we're going to talk about. Right. Just on the on the off chance that we've talked about this before. On the off chance that you uh, didn't see the title of the show, which also gives it away. Hmm, it's a letter of the Greek alphabet. What uh-huh. would that possibly be and how would it be related to an automobile? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, maybe the best way to present that is to open by saying that this episode comes to us via an excellent piece of listener mail from Brian M. Yeah, Brian M. And he wrote in and you know what? We're playing a little game, I guess, with Brian M. You know, that he, uh, he wants us to guess what the, uh, what the topic would be. And of course we know that. So we're kind of continuing that for our listeners. But uh-huh. if you haven't already looked at the title in some way that you downloaded this episode and you don't know what it is, play along with us and see if you can guess what we're going to talk about today as we go through this email. So here it is. He says, hello guys. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Well, thank you, Brian. We appreciate that. He says, I found it recently and I've been going through the archives and there's many, many shows to go through at this point. Oof, no kidding. Approaching the big 700. That's true. Uh, so he says, I'm looking through your Mark history, one of my favorite series, and I noticed a glaring omission. This brand is legendary in motorsport and also has been the first to implement technology that has become staples across the auto industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, since you like making your fans guess what the, you know, the top item on your lists are during your show, I'd like to see if you can guess what brand I'm thinking of. Fair, oh. fair enough. Yeah, yeah, he he fair gives question. us some hints. Yeah, he gives us some hints and he gives us some bullet points to go through as well. And, Ben, before I read this list, I have to uh, say that we're going to put some asterisks next to some of these because yeah. uh, some may or may not be true, and there's uh, there's um, uh, some qualification that has to go on for a few of these. Caveats about. Yeah, so here, but here's his list, and it's, okay. a, it's a pretty good list, really. It's mm-hmm. actually pretty accurate, or close to accurate. First production V8, first production V6, first production V4, first production independent suspension, first production car to have a front axle with independent wheels, First production five-speed gearbox, first production car with a monocoque chassis, and the first car with suicide doors without a central pillar as we know them today. So that's a pretty good list. Sure. Uh, any guesses yet, listeners? Anything yet? We'll wait just for a second. Crickets? 
Crickets? No one? Oh, maybe <laughs> someone's got it by now. But uh, he gives us another hint. And the hint is that they also won the rally championship ten times, which is, I think, the most out of any constructor, I, I believe. They also won an unprecedented six in a row from 1987 to 1992. So he says, by now you have the answer, and uh, the answer is... Lancia. Yeah, Lancia, the brand Lancia, a brand that's not well known in the U.S., but is a legend in the car industry, and he's right. It yeah. definitely is. There's that, a huge history here. That's not an exaggeration. Also, uh, he's hitting on some issues important to me when he says, also worth noting, you can buy a Lancia for not a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. Their Italian counterparts are much more expensive in the U.S., but Lancia gives that Italian motoring experience at an affordable price. From the Fulvia to the Beta, Delta Integral, and the Monte Carlo, they can be had for a fraction of the price of other Italian marks. In 1978, the Beta offered independent rear suspension, and of course, Mustang, <laughs> this is funny, he says Mustang introduced that just this year. Um, a, uh, a 2.1 liter motor putting out 120 horsepower and compare that to the 1982 Mustang with the 4.2 liter V8 that put out just 118 horsepower. So, um, there's clearly something going on with the engine design and mm-hmm. Lancia here. And that is one of the asterisks that I have to mention. Sure. Um, as we go through this podcast, cause, uh, they're big in the world of engine design, I suppose. Yes. And Brian says one more very important thing says, love it if you could put together a podcast on Lancia. It's really becoming a lost brand. Ah, yes, a lost brand. Now, that's a uh, hint at uh, something that we're going to talk about later in the episode, too, which is um, a bit of recent history, something that came about, uh, was it 2014, 2015, even yeah. early 2015. So uh, some some kind of big news from Lancia. Um, right. And, uh, man, where should we start, Ben? I've got, I've got all those items that we've got asterisks to. Sure. Engine production and all that stuff. A little stuff. bit and, about the models. Yeah, a little bit about each one of those things. So, well, uh, uh, you want to start at the beginning? You want to start yeah. at, uh, way back in the, at the beginning of the 20th century? Yes, sir. Speaking of history, let us journey back to the 29th of November, 1906, uh, when, uh, Fiat racing drivers, one named Vincenzo Lancia and uh, his buddy Claudio Fogolin, uh, decided to join forces and form what would become Lancia. Their first car that they manufactured was called the Tipo 51, or also known as the Alpha. And it had uh, about 28 horsepower. It was produced from 1907 to 1908. So that's pretty, that's pretty good that they formed in 06. And by 07, they were making a car. Okay, now I have a couple things I want to say about this car. Yeah. Now, he was a, uh, a race driver. He's also a test driver for Fiat. Uh-huh. Um, so they're, you know, heavily involved with Fiat even early on in 1906. And I want to say that this car, of course, because he was a race car driver, he was interested in lightness. He was interested in making this car, his first production car, the Lancia's first production car, very light and it also had a very responsive engine. So, you know, it was, yeah. it was a nice combination for that vehicle to have. And it, one, one reason why it was so light was because it used a tubular structure for the front axle instead of the solid steel design of the day. And one last thing I gotta say about him even before we start any more history. Sure. Is that, uh, Vincenzo, or am I saying his right name, his name correctly? Vincenzo maybe? Yeah. Um, he was said to be extremely skilled at all things mechanical. Yes. And, and other, even, even master mechanics of the day would say that, you know, this guy had, it all together. I mean, he could look at something that was very complex, even even um, you know the uh, the foreign makes and models, right? And and look at them and mechanically understand them. And just after a few moments of, of thinking about it, he would understand how to 
how to fix that car. So he's great at diagnosis and, and repair as well. It, it, he was just somehow intrinsically born with, he's born with this ability with to, that uh, aptitude. yeah, with this, this mechanical aptitude. And he was also a very talented driver. As we said, he was a test driver for Fiat. Ah, and he was also a pilot and an engineer. This guy was, it's, I don't think it's exaggeration to say he was darn near a genius. Uh, just a couple things that'll come into play later, uh, regarding the Lancia Alpha or the Tipo 51 or the 12 HP, as it's also called. Uh, this is the first car where they start using the Greek alphabet naming convention, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I think this is pretty impressive given the time. So it's, 1907, or 1908 is when they went into production. They were testing it in 07. In Turin, Italy. Yes, yes, sir. And uh, the car's top speed in 1908, 56 miles per hour. Not bad for not, 1908, right? Not bad at all. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the point you make about the structure and the weight had a lot to do with it. But this was a bold and uh, a bold and well-received entry into the car world, right? Sure. And uh, they continued growing. In 1910, they uh, started exporting some parts to the U.S., uh, and these components were assembled and then sold as SGVs, but hmm. really they were, you know, Lancias. You know what, later, can we talk about um, the export markets for Lancia? Because that, that's going to be important when we yeah. talk about, uh, you know, where they ship uh, vehicles to and, and mm-hmm. who... Who still receives those vehicles and who doesn't anymore? Because that's uh, that's also a big part of the story. You know what? Before we get uh, into the yes. models, the list of models, let's yeah. talk just a little bit more about where Lancia falls in uh, in Fiat's uh, bigger umbrella. Oh, that's because, a good point. Yeah. Because they're they're part or the owner the owner of Lancia today is Fiat. Now that comes about later in the history. I believe in 1969. I think. Yeah, I think that's right. And um, you know, Fiat now has this. Uh, even larger group of vehicles that uh, that they have under their, uh, as I said, their umbrella of uh, of makers, so uh, or brands rather. So let me just kind of quickly list who Fiat has working with them right now. How about that? Yes. All right. So there's it's it's now called Fiat Chrysler Automobiles or FCA, and there's a um, an Italian version or, or division, I guess, and there's also a USA division. But in addition to the ones I'm going to list for them, uh, there's also Ferrari, uh, who they own ninety percent of at this point. And then Maserati, which I believe they are 100% owner of. Uh, then there's FCA Italy, as I mentioned, that has Abarth, Alfa Romeo, uh, Fiat Automobiles, and Fiat Professional, which is uh, like light commercial vehicles like vans and things like that. And Lancia, who we're talking about today, and a company called VM Motori, which is a diesel engine manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And then under, uh, I guess, the FCA USA um, umbrella is Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram trucks and of course Mopar, which is the uh, the parts and service division of, of Chrysler, really. Yeah. So um, Fiat has this this larger well, that's all the subsidiaries, I guess, of, of FCA, mm-hmm. and Lancia falls under FCA Italy at this point. Right, and that's going to, as you said, come into play a little bit later in the show. So uh, the Lancia Jota became like a, a series of different bus and truck chassis. Uh, this was just something they were doing in addition to the cars they were making. Uh, and these were used uh, to for businesses, for large transport, and uh, for military trucks. That was actually the primary use of these. Yeah, and, military because, uh, well, World War One was happening right, right now, right? Yeah. 
And they also, you know, they continued uh, producing these until 1935. So this this part is where, in my opinion, you can really see the company growing successfully because scoring a government contract, especially when you're that young, is uh, very close to a golden ticket if you can swing it, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yep, and for them to carry out that production from – uh, you know, from World War One all the way up until just about just prior to World War Two. I wonder why they didn't hang on until just after, like through World War Two. I, I don't know what the reason behind that. Right. Um, it'd be interesting to find that out. Yeah, it would be. There's well, there are you know there are a couple of commonalities in these situations that we can guess at. Uh, it could have just been um, economic downturns. It could have been canceling of contracts. There there are a couple of distinct possibilities. It could have been. Just a calculation of uh, sales, mm-hmm. you know. That's true. Uh, so there's another. I almost skipped it, but there's another innovation that wasn't on Brian's list that we should just mention. Uh, another vehicle they released uh, in 1913, the Theta, was the first European production car to feature an electrical system standard. Yeah, that's right, and that's a car that was built from about 1913 until 1918. And uh, it's just it's strange to think about a car prior to this point not having either a complete electrical system or not having a complete electrical system as standard equipment. Right. Yeah. Uh, But at the time, this was very much a forward thinking, weird move. Strange, isn't it? It's groundbreaking. It's so luxurious. Somebody somebody has to. So uh, at, at this point, I think we're we're starting to get into the area or we're, we're approaching some of these claims about Lancia. Yeah. Especially, uh, some of the engine, uh, in, engine debates. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, like in 1922, they came out with a vehicle, vehicle called the Lambda. Uh-huh. And, uh, this was loaded with engineering and design breakthroughs. One of which was the, uh, well, I, I can tell you they had a, a floor incorporated transmission tunnel, which, uh, again, how yeah. was that not incorporated in a vehicle up until this <laughs> right. point? But but it wasn't until 1922. And then uh, maybe the biggest one on this thing is that, um, that on the Lambda is that it had a very narrow V4 engine. Now this is the first V4 engine um, in a production car, and and so Brian was right on that one. That's yeah. uh, that's an odd thing to do. Now I got a couple of things to say about that, but that skips forward in history. So how do you want to handle it? Let me do. Uh, uh, let's. Well, let, let me just mention just a couple of things, a couple of other things about the Lambda that that were pretty good. Uh, so it was from t- 1922 to 1931 when the Lambda was produced. It had uh, this independent front suspension called a sliding pillar, which was very, um, I guess, very innovative for the time, mm-hmm. right? And uh, they took that design and used it in some other vehicles. Now, I think I know where we're going to jump. We're going to jump ahead a few years to talk about some engines, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just one more quick note about that, uh, the sliding pillar thing. Uh, all that really means is that the spring and the hydraulic damper were incorporated into a single unit. Which, right. Again. Sounds it, simple. It really does. I mean, when you look at it now, but uh, again, this is back in 1922. So, again, groundbreaking. Uh, very strange. So, um, okay, let's uh, let's talk about some of these engine things, and I'll, I'll kind of mix this up a little bit in history, but but we're, we'll come back to the production models after 1922 or around 1931, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay, so I mentioned that this is uh, the Lambda was the first vehicle to feature a uh, a V4 engine, the very first. It has a very narrow design V4 engine, and as it turns out, um, only a couple of manufacturers have um, ever produced ever 
ever. In, in automotive history, have like ever up to produced, now, yeah, have ever produced a um, a V4 engine because uh, usually it's an inline engine that we see an inline four. Uh, it's not a very popular design for cars. Now for motorcycles, yes, there's a lot of V4s that are used in motorcycles, but in cars, no. In fact, Lancia, Ford, and Zaz, uh, which is a Ukrainian manufacturer, are the only auto manufacturers to produce the V4 engines up to this point. And again, Lancia had this extremely narrow design, so it's a very right. small engine. And from what I heard, um, I think that this one was uh, symmetrical in that it was as wide as it was um, as it was long, yeah, and, yeah. and tall. It was like a box almost. Mm-hmm. So a very strange design. But but the V4 design is actually a smart design. It's a it's a very balanced engine. It runs very well. It's very smooth. I don't know why more manufacturers haven't used that design throughout history. As a matter of fact, because it would be a, a a great little engine to use in just about anything. It's, it's a sure. space saving idea. It's very small, but again, with that balance, it runs so smoothly. I mean, there'd be very little uh, shake and rattle and roll. Right, car, right, you know? right. Um, interesting that they haven't done that. And now, I, I want to say that. Okay, he's also you know working on you know these. Okay, this is nineteen twenty. Okay, uh, this is a, a rough way to get into this, I guess. But <laughs> but um, you know this is prior to nineteen twenty when he's working on it. Obviously, so you know the night comes out in the nineteen twenty two Lambda. But then also prior to 1920, Lancia had a patent on two other types of engines. He had a 45-degree V8 engine and a giant but narrow 22-degree V12 engine. So he had a huge V12 engine also. Yeah. Um, again, the key to this, you know, what I'm saying here is that it's a very narrow design, and those angles are what's important. So, again, a 45-degree angle V8 is something he had a patent on and a 22-degree V12. So... Um, that may be where Brian is a little bit confused in his notes. Now, I want to I want to go back to the email, and I believe, and I'm not, I'm only about ninety eight percent sure on this because we okay. we always have to say this whenever we talk about automotive first um, that we're not we we try to find the the, the most up to date information because someone's always going to dig through some you know some archives and find a, an earlier example. Sure, so, like there's always going to be um, a possibility of a an undiscovered innovation or uh, something that was invented independently around the same time. Whenever we do an historical show, um, it, and this goes for pretty much any podcast looking at this stuff, but especially with automotive history, we have to add the caveats. You know, there's it's it's very rare in um, in the world of invention in general for someone to do something unambiguously by themselves, on their own, and everyone to agree that this was the first time. Sure, yeah. So with with that said, I mean, we just, we're very hesitant about saying someone was the first or, you know, this is the uh, the only, uh, that's another one, we say that's the only instance of this. So, <laughs> right. so okay, here's, here's what I've got. Now, on his uh, note, he mentions the first production V8, first production V6, and first production V4. Now, uh, he's correct on the V4, as we just mentioned. Yep. He's, he's correct on the V6, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. In the first series production V6, uh, it, it comes about in 1950, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. But um, the first production V8, I don't believe that's true. I think the Cadillac was the first in 1914. Now, this is Again, this is production V8, mm-hmm. so series production. I believe the Cadillac in 1914 was the, was the first, or at least one of the first production V8s, and that would predate uh, what... Um, uh, what Brian mentions here. So uh, again, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, you know, trying to dig around a lot of different places here and find, find the very first V8. And it's tough because there's single examples and there's even small, 
uh, small production runs, but right. very, very small. We're talking about major manufacturers with series production V8 mm-hmm. engines, and, and that would be Cadillac in 1914. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Right. Uh, but then you could also, we're just an asterisk away from saying, you know, first uh, V8 production in Europe or something like yeah, that. Okay, you, know you know what I mean? You know, maybe that's correct. Maybe maybe that's yeah. what he was getting at. I, I just, uh, you know, again, maybe there was one missing word in that email. I don't know. But right. uh, but anyways, he, accurate on a lot of other stuff. So, yeah. Brian, don't don't uh, don't or fear not, I guess. You know, you, <laughs> it was a good email. And additionally, uh, before we move on. The Lambda that we mentioned earlier, uh, the one with the uh, sliding pillar and that very clever V4, uh, was also uh, Lancia's first car to adopt a monocoque chassis. Yeah, interesting. So uh, a lot of, again, groundbreaking engineering and uh, and design in just that one vehicle in 1922, and that's not long after they first founded the company. No, not at all, all which is a a surprising thing. They didn't waste much time. All right, let's skip ahead to 1931, as we said. And uh, 1931, there was the the introduction of the first flexible engine mounts. Now, again, again, this is uh, is another one where i got to put an asterisk because Chrysler had a similar design called the floating engine design. And uh, well, all it really is is just rubber mounts on the engine. You would think that they would have done that by, by 1931, but they hadn't. So, again, 
Uh, another groundbreaking uh, piece of uh, engineering from Lancia in 1931. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we're approaching a time where we'll take a, a note about the founder. Unfortunately, Vincenzo Lancia uh, passed away in 1937 in uh, uh, February of that year, just before the his next vehicle, the Aparelia, was put into full production. Yeah. Now, I've got some interesting notes about 1937, mm-hmm. but I want to go back just for a moment, about four years prior to 1933, where they reveal, uh, reveal the Augusta model. Ah, and yeah. That, and that had hydraulic brakes, and it also had something very interesting. It had something they called wardrobe doors. Uh, with no central pillar, sound familiar? That's what uh, Brian mentioned. <laughs> right, good now, call. Now, wardrobe doors is the same as saying uh, suicide doors. Mm-hmm. Remember, uh, he mentions uh, the first production vehicle with uh, with suicide doors without a central pillar. That's what wardrobe doors are. Think about opening a giant uh, you know, piece of furniture. Right, wardrobe, right. How they open. That's a, that's a great example of it. But that's what they called them in, uh, in 19, what was it, 1933. They just didn't know what to call it. Now, that's the design that became very popular later on. Uh, you know, in fact, a lot of cars used um, suicide door designs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that this one is the first without the central pillar. Now, gangsters love this design as well. Yeah. Uh, they, they like to, you know, be able to open these doors and push. It was supposedly the idea was, Ben, that they could push somebody out of the moving car easily with a suicide door. Which, to me, sounds a little bit like an urban legend. Uh, a little bit, yeah. But, uh, you know, it seems like it's kind of making it fit the uh, fit the description because it, it worked that way, but it wasn't that uh, maybe that was why they had it. You know? Right. A lot of right. cars had this feature um, and maybe the car was just the one that they liked because it had a bigger engine or something like right. that. Right. You know, it could, could have been. Who knows? Still, those doors look so cool. Uh, they do. And I, and I love the, uh, I love the legend. Now yeah. let's get back to 1937. Uh-huh. And uh, it's unfortunate that he passed away right at this point because that is when uh, Lancey also started in racing. And they entered a lot of Italian and other European uh, country uh, rally events at the time, and um, they had a lot of again innovations in the uh, in the design that allowed them to compete in these rallies. And one of those, or maybe a couple of those, was was first uh, the the did you say the Aprilia or uh-huh. Aprilia maybe uh-huh. um, had three fuel tanks. Uh, there were two in car, and then one that was mounted at the on the rear, right behind the driver, and they also had four-wheel drive at the time now yeah. that's now, no four-wheel drive have been around but to throw it in a car and use it in a rally that's a that's a pretty big uh, innovation mm-hmm. so smart yes uh they also had some uh special designs for the apparelia including a, a touring convertible uh the torpedo militare they had some uh Custom coaching like, uh, Luigi Pagani, uh, tuned a Barchetta that had, uh, a body built by, uh, a boat building company. Hmm. Makes uh, sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it makes sense when you think about it, but of course it sounds a little unusual now. And you can see the continual tradition of certain Lancia, I guess, um, values or practices going in, like the, the way that they, uh, the way that they handled steering wheel placement, no mm-hmm. matter which country they sold in. Uh, and of course the, uh, fantastic engine designs, sure. which are inspiring. Sure. So Ben, let's take a, a step back in the timeline here. Right. Back to, uh, back to 1948. Let's do that. And, uh, and let's talk about the Series 3 Ardea or Ardea. And this is the car, the first production car rather, that features a five-speed gearbox. Yeah, yeah. This, uh, you know, again, this is one of those things that you'll see often in Lancia's history. 
stuff that seems like it should be very basic or standard things. But, you know, we have to remember that there was a time when this was stuff that no one had tried before. That's right. Somebody has to be the first, and in this case, it was Lancia again. Seems right. like they've got a lot of firsts. Yeah, and uh, two years later, they had another one, uh, which Brian references in his letter, the Aurelia premiered. Yeah. And where he mentioned it was with the first production V6. So this is the first series production V6 in mm-hmm. 1950. Yeah, first full production one. Uh, they had already at this point, of course, been experimenting with the V8 and the V12 engine, which, again, is just a just a crazy, crazy thing. Well, those it's that narrow design, as we mentioned. Yeah, so, yeah. so it's not that they were the first with the V8 and the V12. It was just the uh, the narrow design. Right. And it's a you can you can check out uh, some photos of it, too, uh, which I, I highly recommend if you if you get a chance to look at it. Mm-hmm. So uh, where should we head next, Scott? Uh, let's see. How about, you know what? While we're talking about engines, I just want to mention this quickly and we'll, we'll move on from there from the 1950s. But, um, I want to say that, you know, the, the narrow angle V4 engines that we had talked about, you know, the first one was about 1922, I think. Uh huh. Um, from 1922 through about the, you know, the 1960s in, in Lancia, they used that engine in cars like the Lambda, the Augusta, the Artina, the Aprilia, the Ardea, the Appia, and uh, in the Fulvia, so they use them in a lot of their vehicles. Um, it's just that it's a shame that it never really truly caught on that that V4 design. I mean, again, Ford and um, uh, who was it? Zaz, I guess the uh, Ukrainian right, uh, yeah, yeah, company, yeah. the manufacturer. Um, they they jumped on the bandwagon with that one, but uh, but I, I just surprised that it just didn't carry on into modern production cars. There's another thing here that I don't think made Brian's list, but is interesting nonetheless. And Scott. It's that the Aurelio was also the first car to be fitted with radial tires hmm. as standard equipment. No kidding. Yeah. No, that's kind of strange. Again, it's weird to think about that, but it is. Right. All right. So uh, in the 1950s, I guess one more thing we should mention about the sure. 1950s is that um, Lancey would, would loan Ferrari, its technicians at this time, and some of its designs to help the uh, the Scuderia team, which is, you know, like the, the Ferrari race team, win the F1 championship in the 1950s. So... Uh, kind of, kind of strange, and you know that that uh, racing heritage carries on from there. You know, they started in what 1937. We said by 1950s yeah. they're helping out Ferrari. That's amazing. And then, um, I guess if you want to jump ahead, uh, we can talk about the 1970s and the uh, 19 well 1980s in some way, I guess. But the Lancia 037 or, or Lancia 37 and the Lancia Delta S4, uh, which were the Group B rally cars, and. Boy, this, you know, they had composite construction. They had twin turbo, turbocharging, um, all-wheel drive. Now, the this is unfortunate, though. The deaths of two of Lancia's drivers were, were the unfortunate end of the Group B rally series. Now, um, in 1985 and 1986, there were a couple of fatalities, and I think one was in the Lancia um, uh, 37 model and the other one was in the Lancia Delta S4, uh, but that was what eventually led to the cancellation of the Group B uh, series. It was just like, the, you know, the... Uh, the straw that broke the camel's back yeah. in that case because there were many deaths in the Group B series or surrounding the series. And, uh, again, just uh, too deadly to survive, I guess, uh, you know, after 1986, so they canceled it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, I, I should mention this. Uh, the Lancia Stratos is one of my favorite cars ever. Oh, I mean, yeah? It's just, yeah, I, I just dig the Stratos. I, I Occasionally we'll see a, uh, a kit car version of the Stratos, and um, that's about it. I mean, I've never in life – I've never in – 
you know, in person seen a Lancia Stratos. Mm -hmm. And I would love to someday. I've never even seen one in a museum anymore. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in exactly. to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy. Yeah. Right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to a really good cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, one thing that's uh, that's interesting about that too, Scott, is that you don't like every Lancia car. No, I definitely don't. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not crazy about Lancia cars. Now, that's uh, mainly maybe it's because we have not been um, exposed to Lancia here in the United States. Yeah, we haven't been as familiarized, and that may be the case for some time. Yeah, I think so. And here's the thing is that, you know, unofficially, now we're talking about export markets for Lancia and and unofficially, um, you know, in the 1950s and 1960s, we were kind of, uh, I guess, privileged to have a few of these Lancias kind of trickle over our border. You right. know, there, there were a few of them here and there, but really not that many. Very small scale importing was happening at that point, but officially, Lancia became a brand that you could buy here in the United States in about 1975, and that lasted only until about 1982. Um, and that was also when Fiat withdrew their um, exportation, I guess. of uh, is, that, is that a word? Exportation? Exportation. Yes, yes is that really? is a word. Sir. Okay, exportation of, uh, of Fiat and, and Lancia models where it kind of happened simultaneously. So in 1982, we were denied both of those brands. Uh, Here in the States, anyways. Yeah. Um, if you want to, um, well, there's there's modern news that I could I could bring about here at this point, but we should also talk about the United Kingdom. 
And mm-hmm. there's something that um, it, it's sort of no longer available in the UK, but I'll, I'll tell you what I mean by sort of. In 1980, the beta model from Lancia was recalled in the UK, um, and I'm, I mean a total recall. They brought all of them back in and crushed the vehicles, um, and this was because of, um, well, subframe corrosion problem. That, right. They caused a lot of problems, and again, for them to recall all the vehicles and have them crushed, that's a big deal, and that's something that they just never quite came back from. So they've had bad publicity in the UK uh, from that, that from that point, and then they did come back, you know, with, with different models, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, the last model to be sold in the United Kingdom was the Delta um, under the Lancia brand. I think it was in about 1995. Right, right. And this gets a little bit complicated because there were all these rumors about Lancia returning to the UK to recover from this tremendous, this tremendous damage to the company's reputation and brand. And that started in 1995 when they first withdrew. So right. it was kind of like some people wanted them back right away because you, know, you yeah. don't start rumors like that unless you kind of uh, secretly want something to come back. Right. So in 2011, the Epsilon and Delta models came back to the UK, but different. Yeah, changed. Yeah. Uh, they were Chryslers. Uh, yeah, so they're rebadged or rebranded, I guess, as Chryslers. But really what they're getting there is the uh, they're getting the, the Lancia Epsilon and Delta models. And that goes along, of course, with the uh, the, the merger, I guess. And if you can call it a merger. Right. Uh, where Fiat really just bought. Right. Uh, however, this return to the U.K. Uh, was short-lived, and we'll find out why. Mm-hmm. Uh, Japan also had a uh, a few Lancia models, not many, that were sold uh, yeah. in their in their domestic market. Yeah, what, three of them. They had the Fulvia, the Stratos, mm-hmm. and the Delta, I believe. And uh, I think <laughs> now they've just got the one. They've got the Epsilon, which is also sold under the Chrysler brand name. So um, they're there, but uh, not really there. I mean, it's not a Lancia brand anymore. So... Um, Boy, this is strange. So there's there's new news, Ben, right? I mean, yeah, let's go ahead and let the uh, badger out of the bucket, the cat out of the bag. Badger out of the bucket, I like that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I... You come up with these on the fly, don't you? I do, I do. Uh, I, no, I'm kidding, I'll be honest with you. I have a very long list that I spend hours researching, like which animal <laughs> is best to come out of which thing. Uh, but anyhow, uh, that's a whole other can of worms, I guess. Uh, here is the news, and... If you are familiar with Lancia, if you are tuning in from Europe, or if you are a race fan, then you are already uh, likely aware of this. In 2014, last year, Fiat said that they were scaling back. So Lancia is not going to be sold outside of Italy. Mm-hmm. That's, that's right. right. They're not. They're, they're not exporting it at all. Yeah, that's right. So um, as of uh, I think 2017. Chrysler will be completely gone out of the UK, um, and it's well, of course, it's it's not going to be sold at all anywhere at this point, other than Italy. Um, and I think 2017 might be kind of like the last push. I think where where right. it'll just be an Italian only brand. So Ben, do you think we're we're doing justice to this brand here? Do you think we're uh, we're getting some of the information yeah. out there? Because I I know we try to uh, try to incorporate as much information as we can, and it's tough with when we do like a full brand history. Yeah, we got we got some of it. Um, there's so much to cover. We could just do one entirely on Lancia's racing history, which mm-hmm. uh, we didn't go into too much depth on. I'm glad that uh, we were able to look at some of Brian's recommendations, and there were, there's some really 
cool stuff in there, especially if you're a fan of uh, just just the mechanical aspect of, of the engines themselves. Sure. You know? And, you know, production hasn't ever been huge. It hasn't been like a, a really massive producer of vehicles. And, and there's a reason behind that. And that's probably why, it, you know, the, the viability of, of Lancia here in the United States was, was sort of low. I mean, that, you know, it wasn't really a car that was uh, one that was continually exported to the United States uh, from that point on, from what do I say, 1982 on. Mm-hmm. Um, one reason, and this is just one of many reasons, but, and I don't know if this is really a problem. I mean, it's sort of a problem, but it, but it's, uh, it's a, it's a decent problem to have. And here, here's what I mean. Um, the cars don't have a lot of commonality between the different models. So right. it means that the cost of production increases extensively. And the problem is that the demand uh, isn't quite as high as, as, you know, they would like it to be. So, uh, they're not able to, uh, make as much money as they would, would need to in order to continue with that type of production. Yeah, think about it because there, throughout its history, it's had sporty hatchbacks like the Delta. It's had, uh, the Thema sedan. And then, you know, in the nineties, they had the Y compact. And those are, those are cars for very different markets. Yeah. And the thing about this brand is that, you know, because they were complex, because they have, uh, you know, a fixation on quality, because they have this uh, this need to be, um, you know, uh, precision, I guess, in, in a lot of ways. Um, they're using older equipment, you know, to, to do this, or they were at the time. And um, it just led to, again, very expensive vehicles. And essentially, all these had to be hand-built. And they just couldn't continue with that, you know, to to produce cars at the, uh, at the scale or the scope yeah. Uh, of of uh, production that they needed to be at in order to be considered, you know, a, a big player in the world marketplace. Right. And predictably, of course, uh, fans of Lancia have reacted to this with outrage. You know, you can you can just check out. There's like a Twitter account called Occupy Lancia that sends fiat messages. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and this was in 2014. And on a bittersweet note, in 2014, the same year this announcement occurred, a 1928 Lancia Lambda won the uh, Mile Miglia Classic Car Race in Italy and mm. beat an Alfa Romeo. Mm, cool. Uh, yeah, it's cool, but hey, it's you know kind what? of a swan song. Since, since you mentioned Alfa Romeo, I'm bringing this up anyways. Because earlier, <laughs> earlier we talked about this, and I said, oh, shoot, I can't bring this up in this episode, but right. here it is now. You had to say Alfa, didn't you? Yeah. I'm All right, so, so the Alfa Romeo. Uh, that brand is returning to the United States, uh, and that's with the Alfa Romeo 4C, and it's going to be sold at Alfa Romeo dealerships across the United States, uh, 82 dealerships, as far as I know right now, in 33 states. For now, that's all they're going to be selling, because I checked out the site to look you know, at, at where it's available. There's one here in Georgia. Uh, some states have several dealerships. You know, I guess it's based on demand, uh, but I'm excited about that one, and since you mentioned it, Ben, I figured I'd just throw that in there. Yeah. But, uh, but Brian... Honestly, there's there's a lot more to cover, as you know. Um, hope our listeners maybe use the opportunity to dig into some of this history and look up some of the automotive firsts of Lancia and and really investigate some of the engineering breakthroughs and uh, um, just dramatic um, advancements that Lancia made in the automotive industry. And uh, they really were for a long, long time a big player in uh, in pushing things forward for uh, all automobiles, really. Right? Yeah. It's it was not lightly uh, that the Guys at Top Gear said Lancia had more great models than any other car company. They yeah, said and, that in 2009. And the thing is, I mean, for, for a brand that's relatively unknown here in the United States, I mean, a lot of the U.S. listeners will say Lancia. Geez, I think I saw one of those for sale, um, you know, in the, in the 
back of a Hemings magazine at one point, you know, <laughs> years and years ago. Uh, it's just not that well known here. And that, that the reason is because, you know, we only officially had them here for about seven years. And, uh, and beyond that, you know, then, then it's really kind of a one here, one there. Um, I would suppose that some gray market cars are making their way here to the United States at this point, or at least in right. North America. Sure. Um, but again, and unofficially, some of those 1950s and 1960s, those, uh, you know, very small, um, I guess import, imported vehicles, you know, the small importation numbers, uh, that came across during those decades, they might be out there somewhere, but they're likely show cars or something. Right. Um, and, you know, you know how this goes. I mean, with the, the world of classic cars, I mean, they'll show up everywhere. So you know, you're going to find them at concourse events and mm-hmm. uh, you're going to find them at auto shows. But uh, to see one on the road, it's pretty rare here in the U.S. And I want to add one more thing that didn't make it into the episode. Oh, one more thing. One more thing. And this is just a very small thing, but I thought it was super cool. Did you know that Lancia built a limousine for the president of Italy? I did not know that. What an interesting choice, huh? Yeah, they, uh, it was in 1957, they made a limo model of the Lancia Florida. And they, they made a couple of other, uh, limousines. So, or they, they themselves made a couple of other limousines, 89, 1999. I just think it, I think that stuff is pretty cool too, the idea of building a car for the president. Yeah, I guess. Know? I mean, when you consider that a lot of the cars were hand built anyways, or, the, or all the cars were hand built. Right. Um, it, it's, it makes sense that they would do some of these custom one-off vehicles as well. Why not? Yeah, why not? So, Scott, at this time, I think we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to head on out, hit the dusty trail. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff we didn't get to with Lancia. Oh, as always, right? I mean, there's, there's so much here. And again, if we were to really dig into some of the firsts, I bet there's other smaller firsts that we could find, mm-hmm. uh, that we just haven't been able to hit. But we, I think we got the most of the big ones and we did address uh, I think everything in Brian's email. So I'd say on this one, a job well done, but, uh, <laughs> but maybe incomplete. Still. Yeah. We've still. got, it's a work in progress. So Brian, thank you for your fantastic email because this was, uh, this was really cool and it is something that more people in the state should know about, uh, if they don't know about it already. Even to us, it was an eye opener. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, you can hear, uh, you can hear more about Group B rally cars in our series that we released on that earlier where we mentioned Lancia a few times. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And, uh, it was, uh, I'll say it's one of our, one of our better shows. That I like was pretty that cool. I like that one a lot. And, uh, you know, of course that led to watching a lot of Group B rally competition <laughs> right, and right. listening to those cars. Uh, I don't know if there's a better sounding race car out there. Now that's up for debate. I mean, because there's a lot, right. and I, I am a big fan of IndyCar sounds and you know mm-hmm. F1 and of course. But but man, to hear those those groupie rally cars you know, tearing through the forest somewhere, oh sure, it's incredible, it's incredible. Yes, yeah, so check it out. Uh, let us know what you think. You can find that along with every other podcast we have ever done at our website carstuffshow.com. You can hit Scott and I up on Facebook and Twitter where we are Car Stuff HSW. Uh, we'd love to hear your suggestions. If you want to take a page from Brian's book and let us know what we should cover in the future, you can tell us on Facebook, you can tell us on Twitter, or you can send us an email directly. We are carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. 
Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fairs. Discover more at viking.com. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.